2: From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. In 2006, Rolling Stone magazine put Khaki King's name on the list of new guitar gods. And among the list of 19 other names was John Mayer. Khaki was the only female on the list and the youngest in her 20s at the time. Now, 15 years later, Kaki King is pushing the limits of what it means to be a guitarist by interweaving experimental theater and new technology into her performances. She will perform in the first Center for the Arts on the campus of Georgia Tech on Saturday, October 23rd, and joins me now via Zoom. Kaki King, welcome to City Lights.
3: Thank you so much. It is an absolute honor. When did
2: you begin playing guitar?
3: I was really young. I was about five years old. Um, So I don't have a clarity of memory from that age. I just kind of remember the guitar always being part of my life.
2: And did you study formally?
3: I never studied what you would call formally. I did take lessons when I was a a little kid. And then here and there, I'd pick up something from someone or have a teacher for a little bit. But I really became, as a teenager, you know, pretty much entirely self-taught. But I was also pursuing music in other ways. In high school, I played drums and band, and so there was was a lot of, I was sort of surrounded by it. But however, I I do lack a formal guitar degree.
2: You did okay.
3: I did okay. I turned out okay, it's true. Yeah.
2: As I mentioned in the intro, you were the only woman guitarist that made the new Guitar Gods list in 2006. Why do you think the guitar... Field is male-dominated. Things have changed, so I want
3: to just like focus on the, the good news, which is that many more women have, in the interim, um, taken up the guitar, are purchasing guitars, guitar marketing is geared much more towards women than it ever has been. And the result is that there's so many more amazing, amazing women players and composers than was ever on the scene when I was coming up. So that's like the really good news. You know, I think that the answer to your question is just about the answer for any other male-dominated field. You know, why aren't there more women in X, Y, Z, STEM, medicine? Um, you know, whatever. And it's all again. It's it's there's a shifting tide that we're seeing right now with a lot of things. And I think that women in the guitar are just part
2: of that. Kaki, which guitarists inspired you when you were younger?
3: I was a, I was a, a Britpop fan, believe it or not. I thought that there was a lot of interesting electric guitar work going on from Graham Coxon and Blur, and Johnny Marr from The Smiths. And this sort of interesting, kind of combination p- finger picking and very melodic playing inside of, a, of an indie rock band with a singer, which, you know, for me at the time was really the only real paradigm that existed in terms of a popular genre. But I was also very influenced by the early Wyndham Hill albums, guitarists like Michael Hedges and Will Ackerman and. Alex Degrassi because they were doing this sort of out really out of the box playing that didn't have a specific it wasn't jazz it wasn't classical it wasn't speed metal you know it really felt like its own undefinable thing so I was very attracted to things that I had not that you wouldn't that wouldn't occur to you as being something that the guitar can be capable of.
2: Please tell us about your multi-year partnership with Georgia Tech Arts.
3: Oh, my God. Georgia Tech has just been an absolute... It's funny. It's a the home away from home, but I'm also from Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and my mother is an alum. Oh. And so un, un, unrelated, seemingly, I was... I got involved with Georgia Tech when I presented my work, The Neck is a Bridge to the Body, there. I want to say 2018, but... You know, time is a little bit fluid these days. So. I call
2: it COVID standard time.
3: <laughs> exactly. COVID. I mean, there's the whole yes, yeah, so you might want to fact check that. But I presented the neck as a bridge to the body, and from there they became interested in commissioning a new work from me, the title of which is Data Not Found. And between that and and COVID happening and other programming events sort of going online or or, you know there there was just a sort of room for me to come and continue to to present despite the difficulty of the interim so i did a pre-taped performance of a show called modern yesterdays i did my first outdoor concert my first one it was presented by georgia tech first one since the pandemic and for that i'm eternally grateful because it really just rejuvenated my love for for playing and performing and everything So, yeah, we've had this, you know, almost by accident or by COVID accident, this multi-year continuing relationship that's finally going to culminate. Well, hopefully never end, but we'll have a a peak next week when I present Data Not Found, uh, which is a piece that, I like I said, they commissioned.
2: Did the delay of this performance originally scheduled for 2020 have an impact On your conception of the show? Did you develop it further?
3: It is deeply impacted. Every single facet of the show is being looked at in a new lens because so much of the show, whether it be from the text to the visual elements, has to do with loss and outlines and what is left when people leave, when when species leave and so dealing with this unbelievable amount of of loss for everything is going to have to be reprocessed as we in a way in a sense rebuild the show for this era there is no avoiding it or getting around it it you know certain lines are going to land very differently so i would say we, you know once we get into rehearsals we are going to be looking very carefully at every part of the show
2: guitarist, and singer-songwriter Kaki King. She's performing at the First Center for the Arts at Georgia Tech this Saturday, October 23rd. We'll return with more of our conversation in just a moment. First, if you just tuned in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and we're in our Fall Membership Drive. You appreciate the quality programming you hear on WABE. That's why you're listening now. So now it's time to donate. Your donation helps pay for City Lights, in addition to programs like Closer Look with Rose Scott and Jazz Classics with H. Johnson. We can't do any of this without you because we rely on the Atlanta community for 84% of our funding. Please lend a hand to fund everything you rely on at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090, 678-553-9090. This hour, I'm joined by City Lights producer, Summer Evans.
1: Remember, your gift will really help make City Lights a success, and it only takes a moment to make a gift of whatever amount works best for you. Our show is a great platform for providing you information on the rich arts and culture scene here in Atlanta. When you're looking for something fun to do on the weekend, or say any night of the week, who do you tune into? If that answer is City Lights, then please donate right now by going to wabe.org slash donate or calling 678-553-9090.
4: I'm
2: Zane Coburn, and I live in Ansley
4: Park in Atlanta. The first
2: time I donated to WABE, I I felt grateful. I felt like it was uh, a necessary duty of mine. Because I, I get all of my news, I learn about community happenings, and that's how I usually start a lot of my conversations during the day.
4: So... I thought it was necessary to be able to contribute back to something that has given me so much.
2: How many times have you started a conversation with, I heard it on WABE, or maybe I heard it on City Lights, conversations with local musicians such as Khaki King and her innovative projection mapping can only be heard on 90.1, so think of it this way. You've made listening to WABE a a priority because of all the cool things you learn and want to share, so please make contributing a priority as well. You can give to this station easily online at wabe.org donate or by calling 678-553-9090.
1: Thanks. We are so grateful to our Atlanta supporters. The vast majority, about 84% of our funding, comes from the Atlanta community, the community we serve every day. The rest comes from grants and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We receive no state funding, so we rely on Metro Atlanta listeners like you for financial help and your gift helps us amplify all of the voices of Atlanta. So consider a gift of $10 a month. It seems to be the most comfortable level for most of our listeners, but you know what's right for you. You can donate by calling 678-553-9090 or making your contribution at wabe.org donate. And thank you so much.
0: When you give to WABE as a new sustainer at $10 a month, we'd like to thank you with our classic Forever I Love Atlanta mug. It features hand-drawn designs of some of Atlanta's most familiar and iconic landmarks, along with the WABE logo. And it was designed by Atlanta artist India Nabarro. It's yours as a monthly donor at just $10 a month, or with a one-time gift of $120. Most importantly, when you donate to WABE right now, it helps us amplify the voices of Atlanta. Please give. It only takes a moment at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Thank you.
2: Also, if you're thinking, I'm not certain I'm ready to commit to a monthly gift to WABE, we understand if a one-time gift is what works for you right now, we get it. Choosing the amount to give and how often to give, we leave that to you. For now, please remember your gift is how we pay for programs like City Lights. And your contribution allows us to continue to share the latest arts and culture news in Atlanta. You can make your donation online at wabe.org donate or call 678 9090 678
1: Thank you. We'd like to thank everyone who has already given to WABE during this membership drive. As always, a big thanks to our sustaining members whom we've relied on so much during the pandemic. Now, what about you? Do you find value in WABE and City Lights? Maybe this is the day you decide to become a sustaining member, too. And in order to become one, all you have to do is donate $10 a month no matter how you give we'd like to thank you for your gift right now at wabe.org/donate or with a call to 678-553-9090
2: This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for joining me. Let's get back to my interview with guitarist and singer-songwriter Kaki King. She'll be at Georgia Tech's first setter this weekend, performing Data Not Found. here. King explains how this new show expands on previous tours that incorporated projection mapping.
3: Prior shows were, gosh, uh, my my main show was called, the, like I said, The Neck is a Bridge to the Body. And that was very much, you know, I had music and I had a visual. I had a song and I had a visual with the song. And we went through the set list. And this show is not only do I have visuals on the guitar, I have it on a tent, I have them on the floor, I have, you know, a, a much larger media palette. So the world that I'm in on stage is is much more fascinating. I also, you know, I've got all the theatrical elements. I have lines, I have blocking, I have, you know, cues to hit uh, all at the same time of you know playing my guitar and and doing what I do and. Triggering other media with the guitar, so I play a note and that makes you see something happen. It's quite a lot. It's very much outside my comfort zone. And I just know that that's the place where I do the best
2: work. Well, I'm curious about the blocking. Did you have a choreographer?
3: I actually had a director. A um, director? Yes, Annie Dorson, who's actually a, a MacArthur genius. She won the MacArthur during our creation of the show she was immensely helpful in putting the text together and putting the, I mean, everything. You know, as a director, she was wonderful to work with and someone who really, you know, held my hand through these baby steps of becoming an actor, for better or worse.
2: That's fantastic. What songs will you perform in Data Not Found?
3: I will be performing songs with the titles of Default Shell and Puzzle Me You and Can't Touch This or That or You or My Face and Forms of Light and Death. They're all kind of heavy.
2: The title of the concert, Data Not Found. Did Georgia Tech give you that theme, or is that an area you were exploring on your own? So,
3: at this point, I'm not sure if it's even helpful to explain the origin of the title because, again, the world has changed so deeply. But it had to do with a project that I did with a friend when my daughter had um, an autoimmune disorder and it was a a data collection project. And ultimately the stage show became a little, it took a little bit of a different direction, but it was tied into this data visualization project that we had done. So we knew that data had this kind of relevance to the show. But I think at this point, again, the the reevaluation of life itself um, and art itself is heavily taking place. So I hope to have a sort of better idea of what data not found means in the post-pandemic or current pandemic
2: world, however,
3: <laughs> depending on where you are.
2: How is your daughter doing?
3: She's fine. She's totally fine. It was one of those strange childhood ailments that they get, and it was difficult. It was more, much more difficult for me than it was for her. And she's fine now, but thank you for asking.
2: That's... A great relief. I read that you created music for numerous film and TV soundtracks including August Rush and Into the Wild. Was it your work with film and TV soundtracks that kind of inspired you to combine audio or music with visual elements?
3: It's so- that's a great, you know. Again, I've been listening to you. I feel in my entire life, and you, Aww. you really ask the most lovely, pointed questions, and get the most out of everyone. And thank you for asking me that, because it's never occurred to me if that. Thank you. Was...
2: You're gonna make me cry now, and <laughs> sniffling into the microphone does not sound good. But thank you.
3: Well, to answer that, I never would have made that connection naturally. But what I will say is that. When you're doing a film soundtrack, when making music to something visual, it's a much easier process for me as a musician. And the reason is I have all the context that I need to create a piece or create a snippet or even whatever it is. I have tone. I have length. I have tempo. I have, you know, I have all of these things that are just, you know, this is what we are trying to make people feel. And whether it's a commercial where I'm trying to make someone want to enjoy a new brand of iced tea or if it's a scene where someone is, you know, lost a loved one, you know, it, it, there's so much information that I don't have to invent. And that can be a big relief as a musician because otherwise you're kind of sitting there inventing every single bit. almost easier as a musician because I write to what matches what I'm working with visually, and then I alter what's happening visually
2: to rematch the music. I think maybe you could have your director nominate you for one of those MacArthur fellowships.
3: <laughs> That's very sweet of you to say. The way
2: you just express that. So oh. would you say that essentially adding the visual... And technological elements to your musical performances allows you to tell stories.
3: In a completely new way, it's true. And I center everything around the guitar. The focal point of all I do is the guitar. I am the guitar made me everything that I am and gave me the life that I have. So without respecting that relationship, I feel very lost. So it's still a way of expression through who I am and the instrument that, frankly, I think chose me. But it does allow me to continue this journey I've had with the guitar, which is what can it be? What can the guitar do that it hasn't done yet? How can it help someone in a different way? Um, Can it become a window? Can it become a door? Can it become you know, a swirling mass of jellyfish. (laughs) You know, it all centers around this six-string instrument that that has existed for so long, and yet there's so much more to learn around it and inside of it and through it.
2: Guitarist and singer-songwriter Kaki King, she's performing at the First Center for the Arts on the campus of Georgia Tech this Saturday, October 23rd. The concert is Data Not Found. And more information about the show is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, we'll listen back to some of my interview with Roman Mars of 99% Invisible. First... If you just tuned in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thanks for listening. Your relationship with City Lights has gone on for a long time. But why? Because generous supporters like you make this program and everything you hear on WABE possible our fall fundraiser is important because it allows us to bring you programs you love, like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, 1A, and Fresh Air. But we couldn't do that without your financial support. You may think your gift won't make a difference, but it really will. And only you can do that by going to wabe.org donate or or calling 678-553-9090. I'm joined today by City Lights producer, Summer Evans.
1: Right now in this hour, we are going to ask you to make a donation for several reasons. You listen to WABE, you appreciate WABE, and you value WABE. We have fundraisers like this one to support this service, and your gift right now during City Lights would really help. If this show is the one you tune into in order to hear about the latest concerts like Khaki King performing at the First Center for the Arts, then please give by going to wabe.org slash donate or pick up the phone and call 678-553-9090.
0: You've probably been listening to a lot of public radio over the past year and gotten to know a lot of the people on NPR. You've heard how good they are at their jobs and... One of the reasons we ask you to support this station is so they can keep doing those jobs. Because if they can't, well, they'll have to do something else. And that's not good. For example, you know Rachel Martin as the host of Morning Edition.
1: All right, we're going to take a closer look now at another campaign promise from the new president. And
0: that is the perfect job for Rachel because hosting Morning Edition means she cannot stay up late and pursue her dream career as a DJ.
3: That's right, Peter. Now raise your stemless wine glasses. It's time for a DJ evening edition mashup. Skrillex, meet Prime Minister Justin Trudeau.
0: Here in Ottawa. Here, 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 here in Ottawa. Bonjour tout le monde, Bonjour
3: Canada. Woohoo! We're getting crazy in here tonight. Party like you don't have to wake up at 3 a.m. to deliver the news. Everybody, do the inskeep. Do the inskeep, skeep, skeep, skeep.
0: I'm Steve Inskeep. Steve, T Steve, Steve Inskeep. <laughs> So, let's make sure we keep Rachel Martin getting up early for Morning Edition so she can't stay up late the night before. Here's how to help.
2: You can help by making a donation at wabe.org/donate or by calling 678-553-9090. How many smiles, how much laughter have you gotten over the years from hearing the clever observations of the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me panel and host, Peter Sagel? Wait, Wait is probably one of several reasons you appreciate WABE so much. You may recall Peter Sagal's conversation with me on City Lights in 2018 when his memoir came out. He was in Atlanta. Your gift right now will keep this show and the smiles and laughter and Rachel Martin with Morning Edition all going strong. Please take a moment to donate at wabe.org slash Donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Thank you.
1: So let's say you give $10 a month to WABE. What does it really do? Well, City Lights is on the air because thousands of people started their sustaining membership in a past fundraiser, and it really adds up. In order to bring you Morning Edition and All Things Considered, WABE pays a fee to NPR, and it comes out to more than $4,000 a day, every single day, and that's just for the news magazine shows. That number doesn't even account for the weekend programming. So we rely on your gift to pay this cost, and in fact, 84% of all of our funding comes from listeners like you. Your gift today helps us amplify the many voices of the Atlanta community. Please just don't put it off. Invest in everything you love here on WABE with a generous contribution right now by going to wabe.org slash donate or calling 678-553-9090. Thank you.
4: With
0: your $20 a month gift to WABE, we'd like to send you two great thank you gifts. The NPR 50th Anniversary Commemorative Tote Bag along with the NPR 50th Anniversary Mug. The bag features a large zippered compartment and a smaller front pocket. The 11-ounce mug is red on the inside and white on the outside. Both items feature the NPR 50th Anniversary Commemorative Logo. The two gifts are yours with a new monthly gift of $20, or a one-time gift of $240. Help WABE amplify the voices of Atlanta with your gift right now at wabe.org slash donate or phone 678-553-9090. Thank you.
4: My name is Paul Beach, and I live in Decatur. What I like about City Lights is they bring into the program not only people that I've heard of that are visiting Atlanta for various cultural events, whether it's humorous, plays, musicals, but um, they bring into
3: light the inherent cultural scene in Atlanta that I probably otherwise never would
2: have encountered Wow, thank you, Paul, for your thoughts about City Lights. Maybe you feel like Paul. I mean, how do you hear about what's new in arts and culture? Maybe it is from Fresh Air and Weekend Edition, but when it comes to Atlanta's arts and culture scene, City Lights is your go-to on radio. So think of it this way. You've made listening to WABE a priority. Please make giving a priority as well at wabe.org/donate. Thank you. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The phenomenally popular podcast and radio host and producer Roman Mars is known for shedding light on the often overlooked elements of architecture and urban design. His latest book, The 99% Invisible City, a field guide to the hidden world of everyday design, continues that trend. Roman Mars spoke with me about the book last year when it was released, and here he explains when his interest in unnoticed architecture and design began.
4: The subject material really came to me when I was... um working at WBEZ in Chicago, I took this, they have this architecture boat tour where you go on the river, the Chicago river, you go on a a big boat and a docent tells you stories about the buildings and the way they told the stories um, made me realize that you could probably get away with this on the radio. You could probably tell interesting stories about buildings you couldn't see and, and get away with it. And that's when it really clicked in me that This was a show that could be done. But I've always had an interest in just the hidden stories behind everything, whether it's, you know, science and nature or, you know, human-built things as as well.
2: Well, that is the key to the book, the podcast's window into your mind. (laughs) Chapter one is titled Inconspicuous. What are just a few of the examples of hidden design in this section.
4: Well, the inconspicuous section is about things that are probably so small and everyday and mundane that you fail to notice them. So, you know, the first chapter is about, this uh, spray painted graffiti, that's official graffiti that's on the ground, that is put there because if people are excavating or, or doing things underneath the street, um, it's, a, it's a little guide to what are the tubes and, and channels and, and <laughs> lines underneath it. And it was, you know, this, this sort of official graffiti was necessitated um, by a huge explosion that happened in 1976 in Los Angeles when somebody inadvertently cut through a, a petroleum line. And since then, it was codified into a system. Over time, it's been sort of, you know, refined. And so, if you see those spray-painted markings on on corners and and on streets, if you see it, it's and it's orange. It's it's a telecommunications line. If you see it, it's red. It's a it's an electrical line. And that's one of the things I've always been fascinated by. So I kind of always knew that. That, that would be the first chapter of the book. There's also things called Knox boxes, which are these little safes that if you look, it's around eye level of, you know, commercial buildings. You'll see these tiny little boxes that have a you know key to open them. And that usually has a key to the um, to the building itself. And so uh, those are there so that emergency personnel, they have a master skeleton key that can open up a lot of those boxes and they can break into the to the building without you know, having to actually break down the door. They can use a key to get into it. And so um, those are other things that, that I kind of love. Those are the inconspicuous style of urban design that I'm interested in.
2: You write that the Knox box has gone the way of Kleenex, where what was once a brand name is now a generic reference. And I love this acronym DIRT.
4: Yeah, <laughs> right. Would you
2: would you unpack the dirt, Roman?
4: The damage information reporting tool. It is the way that you uh, report if you actually manage to cut through one of those lines. <laughs> uh, if you're excavating in the street or you're doing it in private property. Yeah.
2: This sort of information is exactly what makes your reporting and your storytelling so ideal for public radio listeners but how much research on your part do these subjects take
4: i mean the book is like a culmination of 10 years of the podcast research and then in addition to that the co-author co-author uh Kirk holstead um he's been a design writer and urban design writer for a really long time And so um, I don't even know. I couldn't even count how many uh, interviews are represented. And, uh, you know, all the people we've worked with on the show. It is a mammoth undertaking. Uh, The bibliography is uh, extensive. If you ever want to do a deep dive on any one of these subjects, it is one of the most annotated and uh, resourced and referenced books that I've ever encountered.
2: What's the story of Love Locks?
4: So Love Locks started as a tradition um, where there was a, um, there's a tragic story of, you know, someone declaring their love and going off to, to war and, and, and then finding another sweetheart when he, when he came back. And um, so what the tradition started was that people would etch their initials inside of a padlock and, and put it on on a bridge. And there are bridges all over Europe in particular that are just laden with love locks and so much so that it, it actually upsets the structural integrity of the bridge itself. And so they have to clip them off and they have to find other avenues. Like they'll put up little, um, you know, like kind of like signs beside the, the bridge and uh, make it so that they, they have little grates so that people can put their love locks there. Um, it's a tradition that, that a lot of people love, but a lot of municipalities do not love. <laughs>
2: Obviously. Are there really love locks along the Great Wall of China?
4: Yeah, yeah, there are. They put up little chains in their love locks right there too, yeah.
2: Your stories cover so many cities. I mean, going from the Great Wall of China to Seattle, Canberra, Australia, Toronto, you mentioned Chicago, and then smaller cities... Paris, (laughs) Paris, <laughs> truly globe trotting with these various references. Yeah. Roman, have you traveled to all of the places you mentioned?
4: I have not traveled to all the places that I've mentioned. In fact, I I have not traveled all that much in my life. I mainly talk to people in in these places uh, to get that because I just been a person who's worked so much of my life, and I I never had as much opportunity. And one of the things about the the city guide, I mean, one of the reasons why it is the way it is, the book is a travel guide to whatever city you're in for this, you know, for you to look deeply and closely at your neighborhood because you can't go to some of these far flung places. But through, you know, looking at the manhole cover, like in your neighborhood, we can talk about the ones in Japan that are these beautiful. Um, you know, like exaltations and the wonders of municipal water systems, and you know you can you look at your city grid, and we can talk to you about um, Barcelona and all the places. You know the decisions they made to make these superblocks and divide them up, and so we use it as this travel guide to go sort of expand out by staying in your neighborhood, and um, mm-hmm. that's what I—that's the way I've kind of traveled myself.
2: You went skateboarding with Edmund Bacon, the great urbanist. He was, was he really 92 when he went skateboarding?
4: He did, he was. I mean, I didn't personally go skateboarding. We had a video of him uh, doing it. So one of the things that I love is I love when cities design a thing but then the people decide what is actually they're going to use it for, you know like because cities are always this conversation between the people who use it and, and the people who design it and so Love Park was this place in uh, Philadelphia. It was a park that was not used very well. it had it had all these sort of concrete slabs and modern forms. It was an extremely comfortable park for you know the, the, you know a person who was looking for a place to lay down or rest. But um, the people who discovered it and did love it were skateboarders in the 1980s. They, in the 1980s and 90s, it became this mecca. It became this place that skateboarders all over the country would come to so they could skate the benches of Love Park. And they would get chased off by the cops. (laughs) They would get, you know, their boards taken away. It was this little war between the skateboarders and the city. And, um, And Edmund Bacon, to his credit, Um, He designed it. He designed, he was the sort of master planner for a lot of Philadelphia. And, you know, he was, he skateboarded when he was in his nineties in support of the skateboarders, you know, like he wanted to show his support and show that even though he did not design it for them, he was happy that they took the design and, and turned it into something that was functional and useful and fun. Um, And, you know, it was, it became the park. It probably always should have been, but he could have never anticipated
2: what a fantastic story <laughs> and what an extraordinary man i mean he's sort of the go to guy for a popular book on urban design of cities yeah
4: yeah and he's the father of kevin bacon which is amazing
2: <laughs> yeah and i i have to tell you i interviewed kevin and his brother ahead of a concert they were playing they were coming to atlanta to play and um you know kevin was kind of uncomfortable you could just you could hear him worrying about six degrees of separation (laughs) questions and asking about his wife and i just said Edmund Bacon's sons, <laughs> and he was so excited to talk about his father um, as was his brother. It, it was very special.
4: Oh, that's a, that's adorable. I love that.
2: <laughs> in the chapter on urbanism, you write that a captivating statement made in the built environment by the right activist or artist can be so compelling to the general public that the powers that be are forced to pay attention. Yeah. Would you explain that?
4: Well, so I really do think that most city planners are trying to do their best, but they can't anticipate all the things that a city needs or a neighborhood needs. Those things have to be acted on by the people who are there. And one of the ways that I think cities in general, all over the U.S., but especially as the cities expanded, you know, to the west, cities really preference cars and car movement. So one of the things I see a lot is uh, a lot of you know sort of interventions and and you know guerrilla activism of taking back pieces of the street that have been dedicated to cars for a really long time. And so there's, these these often take the form of You know, in, in, in San Francisco, they, we have this thing called parking day, which uh, somebody, you know, feeds the meter for, for the rest, for the whole day. And then they, instead of parking a car in that spot, they put in a little tiny park. They put down some AstroTurf or some sod. They uh, maybe put up a mini golf course. (laughs) They, they put up (laughs) some chairs and they reclaim that space because, you know, using the, you know, the, the systems of the city by, you know reserving the meter, or paying the meter, they have the right to. And so when that started happening here, it really caused uh, city planners to think you know, or the not really the planners so much as just the bureaucrats. You know, people who work the city to sort of think about how to use some of the parking space differently. And we noticed that there was a lot more sort of cafes had expanded out into the parking areas on the street, it, and especially during the time of uh, the pandemic and COVID, when we need more space to be together so that we can be apart and be outside and be safe. And so I've noticed that this this place, the, the, the roadway that has been sort of the, you know, the dominion of cars for about 100 years. But I, I see us kind of taking some stuff back. And that's really led by a lot of this sort of these interventions and activism. And then the city adopts them and tries them out and experiments a little bit and, you know, reimagines the city in lots of different ways that, you know, they maybe not have done had somebody not done something, you know, to act on it
2: podcast and radio host and producer, Roman Mars. More information about his book, The 99% Invisible City, a field guide to the hidden world of everyday design, can be found on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. You're listening to City Lights, on Atlanta's public radio station, 90.1 WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thanks for joining me. Stations like WABE follow a unique business model. It's based on trust. We know you value and trust what you get here. When you tune into City Lights Monday through Friday, you put your trust in us to share with you the latest arts and culture news so now we're putting our trust in you to lend a hand we use your gift of support to pay for all the programs you value like city lights and we'll use your gift to amplify the creative voices of atlanta Please give at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. I'm joined today by City Lights producer, Summer Evans. We're so
1: pleased with the support we get here at WABE, not just from our regular monthly, what we call sustaining members, but from those who give during this campaign, and they're from all over the metro Atlanta area, from Calhoun to Carrollton to Conyers. Now, what about you? Have you taken a moment to do something that you've always said you'd do? That's right, just take a moment to simply stop what you're doing and give. By going to wabe.org donate, or picking up the phone and calling 678-553-9090.
3: My name is Donna Court, and I live in Marietta, Georgia, When did I become a -A WAB donor? My brother and my sister-in-law were actually donors before I was. I was listening just as much as they were. I thought, how cheap am I that I can't give at a minimal amount? So that was the first donation.
2: Thank you, Donna, for joining us as a new member and Every gift matters, whether it's $5 or $500. We're glad that you care enough about this community service that you choose to support it. By supporting City Lights, this allows us to support and give a platform to local creatives, such as Atlanta native and renowned guitarist Kaki King. No matter when you give or how much, you are always a welcome part of the family of WABE supporters. Together, you are making WABE a better public radio service for everyone in the Atlanta metro area. Please make your gift now at wabe.org slash donate or call 678 5539090 90. Five, five, 90, 90. Thank you.
1: WABE counts on listeners for financial support. We use it to pay for the shows you love like City Lights. Metro Atlanta listeners like you provide our largest source of funding. In fact, it's 84%. So please chip in what you feel like you can. For many listeners, we found that sweet spot, and it comes in at about $10 a month. But only you know what you can afford. Think about it this way. What you hear on WABE, the truth, the insight, and the powerful stories are valued by you. And they're also sustained by you. Please make your gift by going to wabe.org donate or calling 678-553-9090. Thank you.
0: With your gift of just $5 a month right now, we'd like to give you a stylish way to show your support of WABE and your favourite shows with a pack of public radio buttons. These 10 circular 1-inch buttons feature logos from WABE, NPR and some of your favourite shows like Morning Edition, Tiny Desk, City Lights, Closer Look and All Things Considered. They're yours with a new monthly gift of just $5 or a one-time gift of $60. When you give to WABE, you help us pay for the programs you value and you help amplify the voices of Atlanta. Please take a moment to give now at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you.
4: My name is Miles Anthony and I live in Roswell, Georgia. Uh, I decided to become a monthly donor just because I listen to NPR basically every day. Um, I realized that I'm getting a ton out of it and I've just been fortunate enough and I figured I have I have enough to give, so I'll give what I can.
2: Thank you, Miles. Sustaining members are the backbone of WABE's fundraising efforts. Your monthly gift provides a stable source of funds. That's crucial to help us plan for the future. And when you give you can decide how much to pay. It's a win-win situation. If you listen every day like Miles does, why not join him in becoming a sustaining member of WABE? It's easy to set up and worry-free. Please make that choice now at wabe.org slash donate Or call 678-553-9090. 678-553-9090. Thanks.
1: I can't stress this enough. Now is your time to make a donation to WABE. Please don't wait. You're thinking about it now, so just donate now. It only takes a few minutes to give, and it really does make such a big difference. We know you rely on us to always be there for you. Whether it's for arts news updates or a place to find out about the latest exhibitions on view or just a good book recommendation. And now we're relying on you. Make that choice by becoming a member at WABE right now at wabeorg donate or call 678 553 9090.
2: Thanks. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Atlanta educator and artist George Galbraith tells us about his solo exhibition, Bridges Through the Pandemic, currently on view at P2 Gallery. City Lights senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer. And our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzis. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR.